So, beloved, would you open your Bibles, please, to Galatians chapter 1. We're going to be looking at the first 10 verses of Galatians chapter 1. I'm going to read it all to you, and then we'll go back and begin to kind of pick it apart. Chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle not sent from men, nor through the agency of man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead, and all of the brethren who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Verse 3, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins so that he might rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of God the Father. To whom be the glory forever. Amen. Verse 6. I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another. Only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. Strong language from the Apostle Paul. Verse 9, as we have said before, so I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you have received, he is to be accursed. For am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. Oh, beloved, as we begin our lesson today, I want to start with this quote out of your workbook entitled, Free, the Message of Galatians, Then and Now. In Galatians, Paul will spare no emotion to challenge all who read his epistle to experience to the max the freedom Christ's redemptive sacrifice affords, lest he has died in vain. The message of Galatians then is the same message now, live free, live free. The early Christians in Jerusalem were Jewish. However, as the gospel began to spread, the number of Gentiles that received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior was ever increasing. Consequently, a group of teachers in Galatia were insistent that Gentile believers practice all of the traditional ceremonial customs of the law of Moses, and they insisted that the uh, new converts be circumcised in order to be fully accepted and pleasing to God the Father. Now, this message is in stark contrast to the message that Paul had brought them of salvation by grace through faith in Christ alone. And it was causing concern and confusion as these new converts were hearing a message that was contrary to the message that Paul had brought. Jesus said back in Matthew 7, 15, Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. And beloved, this group of, of, of so-called uh, teachers were bringing 
preaching this false gospel to these precious people. And it was causing so much heartache and confusion among them. They began to be known as the Judaizers. Kim, excuse me, Tim Keller notes this. Paul will explain to us that the truths of the gospel change life from top to bottom. Can anybody testify that your life was so dramatically changed by the Lord Jesus Christ? You've never been the same. Anybody? Anybody? Yes. Praise God. Praise God. When I think of my own life, and most of you know my testimony, but I gave my heart and life to Christ at the age of 24. I had not been a churched kid. My family did not attend church, and, and it was all so brand new. But Craig and I began uh, to attend Bellevue Baptist Church, and uh, Adrian Rogers was the pastor at that time, and I began to hear the Word of God, and I had never heard it before. And it did not take long for me to understand that I was a sinner in need of a Savior. Christ had died to set me free, and I could receive Him by faith. In repentance and faith, I could receive him. He would redeem me. He would save me, take me to heaven when I die. And beloved, that is all really, really good news. But here, here is the thing that staggers me to this moment is the life change that began to happen from the inside out. And I am here to testify, having walked with God now for over 42 years, that he is faithful. He is faithful to do what he has promised to do. And part of that promise includes a changed life. Let me get back here to Tim. Because now that I started quoting him, I've gone off on a tangent. So let me try this again. The gospel, the message that we are more wicked than we have ever dared believe. But more loved and accepted in Christ than we had ever dared hope creates a radical new dynamic for personal growth, for obedience, and for love. Isn't that an awesome quote? I love the part that says that uh, we are more loved and accepted in Christ than we ever dared hope. Part of living the Christian life is discovering more and more about who he is in us and who we are in him and come to find out in him we are free. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Free from sin, self, and Satan. Free from death, hell, and the grave. Free to live not as we want to, but as we ought to, free from the downward pull of the world, the flesh, and the devil. I'm telling you, beloved, we are free. We are free, free in Christ Jesus. Well, as I read Paul's letter to the Galatians, I can almost hear him shouting at his readers, what is wrong with you people? I told you when I was there face to face, you are free in Christ. And now you want to go back and live under bondage? Paul is incensed. Well, Galatians has been referred to as the Christian Magna Carta, as the believer's emancipata emancipation, emancipation proclamation. Occasionally, I just make up words, so roll with it. 
Paul wastes little time defending the truth. In fact, it's very interesting to note that the Apostle Paul does not go very long into the letter with a lot of affirmation and accommodation as he does in his other letters. In fact, he says more kind things to the Corinthians who were all messed up. But he starts out with words of affirmation. He doesn't do that to the Galatians. So the first thing I want you to see is what I call uh, um, apostolic authority. Look with me in Galatians chapter 1, uh, verses 1 and 2. Paul, an apostle, not sent from men, nor through the agency of man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all of the brethren who are with me to the churches of Galatia. So here Paul asserts his authority as an apostle. And the reason he does that, beloved, it's not an ego issue, but rather he is confirming his authority to speak to these people about the reality of Jesus Christ, to speak the truth and to correct them with the truth. Paul says to them, I am an apostle by a divine calling. This was not that he was voted on. This is he was called by God the Father, and that gives him the authority uh, to correct the issues being caused by the Judaizers. The second thing I want you to see is what I call thumbnail theology because I do love alliteration. Paul gives us a thumbnail sketch of the gospel. Look with me in chapter 1, verse 3. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins so that we might, so that he might, excuse me, let me do that again. Verse 3, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins so that he might rescue us from this evil present age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So Paul gives us a very quick little thumbnail sketch of the gospel. It's very similar to what he wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scripture. That's a little thumbnail sketch, a little gospel in a nutshell, if you will. And so we see him doing something very similar here in the book of Galatians. First of all, I want you to see that in verse 4, he says, he gave himself for our sin that he might rescue us. Beloved, he rescued us out of the miry pit of sin. He set our feet upon a solid rock and he put a new song in our heart. And many are going to see that and they're going to want to come to Christ because they're going to want what we have. And beloved, when you and I are able to walk in the freedom that Christ has provided, I tell you, it gets the attention of those outside a personal relationship with Christ. 
They see that there's something unique and different about us and that we are operating not out of our own flesh, out of our own effort, our own energy, but rather we are operating in the power of the spirit of the living God. So we needed to be rescued and Christ rescued us. He redeemed us. He reconciled us with God the Father. He bought us out of the slave market of sin. He gave us the spirit of God to indwell us. He rescued us. That's the first part of the gospel. We were dead in trespasses and sin, and Christ rescued us. Not only that, Christ died a sacrificial death to redeem us. It says in the beginning of verse 4, he gave himself for our sin. Beloved, he who knew no sin, the Bible says, became sin for us, that we might become the very righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. He rescued us. He redeemed us. He reconciled us with the Father. He died in our place. He was the sinless Son of God who became sin for us, even though he was without sin, that he might redeem us by his sacrificial death that atoned for our sin And then we see that God accepted the sacrifice of Jesus. This was according, in the end of verse 4, according to the will of our God and Father. The Lord Jesus died for our sin, and the Father received his sacrifice on our behalf and raised him from the dead. He proved with power by the resurrection from the dead that Jesus was exactly who he said he was. And you can almost hear Paul as he breaks down the gospel into these three little elements. You can almost hear him as he is shouting at these people, have you so quickly forgotten what Christ did on your behalf? That is the gospel. In our study, we are looking for key words that uh, Paul used in this letter. And the first key word is the word gospel. In the original language, gospel means good news. Good news. We are free in Christ. That's good news. Our sin debt is paid. Good news. We are free and we are redeemed and reconciled in Christ. So Craig and I have two boys, Jason and Dawson. Our boys are are two years apart. And this happened way, 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 way back there when Dawson was six months old and Jason was two and a half. Now I was headed into Bible study and Dawson was in his car seat turned backwards and Jason was in, and yes, you young moms, we did have car seats back when we were raising children, but listen, they did not have all the bells and whistles. When I take my grandchildren in the car, I have to take the what they know as the spanking spoon. They always wonder why I have it, but I have to use it to open the car seat. Anybody else can't get that button, so you got to use a wooden spoon in there, and they'll be asking, why is the why is a spanking spoon in your car, JJ? Because they uh, know I'm not going to use it on them. I have to use it on that car seat. But anyways, so we had this car seat. Dawson was turned backwards, and Jason was sitting upright in his car seat. And Dawson began to howl. Now, we still had about 30 minutes uh, to get to Bible study. 
And Dawson, I mean, he is just howling at the top of his lungs, will not be consoled. And so I just said to Jason, Jason, can you talk to your brother and see if you can calm him down? And I will never forget this. Jason had the chubbiest little arms and he propped his elbow up on his car seat and he leaned over into Dawson's face where he could see him and he said, Dawson. And for a moment when he heard his brother's voice, Dawson stopped crying. And Jason said to him, Dawson, I've got good news. <laughs> Jesus loves you, Dawson. Jesus loves you. Y'all gonna make me cry. <laughs> Jesus loves you. It's good news. Beloved, it was good news then, and it's still good news. Good news. Yeah, give the Lord a hand. Yes. We have been redeemed. Now, it may not mean that much to you if you were saved as a child, but I was an adult, and I know what it is to live in the adult world apart from the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. I believe every conversion is miraculous, but I've got to tell you, ours was spectacular. Mr. Stockdale and I stepped out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's own dear son. No regret, never look back. Well, gospel, it is good news. Not only that, beloved, it is ours through Christ. The gospel is good news, and it results in when you and I receive Jesus Christ on his terms, which are repentance and faith, the end result is grace and peace. Look back into uh, verse 3, the beginning of verse 3. Uh, beginning of verse 3. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace is God's unmerited favor that was lavished upon us by the cross. And peace is the quiet sense of well-being born of a cleansed conscience and right standing before the Lord. It's interesting, but in that culture, it was often used as a salutation to say grace or to say peace. Even unbelievers used those terms. However, for the Christians, when they were used together in the context of the gospel, they had incredibly powerful meaning to the new believers in Christ. Grace and peace is ours. The peace that passes all understanding. Most of you know that I have just come off of a year and a half long uh, battle against breast cancer. And I am now cancer free. I praise the Lord uh, for that. Praise the Lord. <clears throat> Mr. Stockdale and I will always believe that in part it was for the prayers and the fasting of the women at Bellevue Women. And I thank you for it so very, very much. It was a very, very difficult and a very hard season. But I've got to tell you, grace and peace were our constant companion as we walked through it. Hard days, long days. I did not feel like myself. I did not look like myself. I was, frankly, in a hard and difficult place. Mr. Stockdale was as well. And yet both of us sensed being carried along, buoyed along by the prayers 
of the precious people of God and the grace of God and the peace which passes understanding. Uh, let me move now to the very last point, which is righteous uh, indignation. Look with me again in verse uh, 6 of chapter 1. I'm amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. As we have said before, so I'll say again, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you have received, he is to be accursed. For now I am, for am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? For am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Jesus Christ. The implication is if you want to be a bondservant of Christ, you and I are going to have to give up being people pleasers and begin living for the applause of one. Paul was so grieved. In verse 6, he says, I am amazed. And King James translates that, I marvel. And the New Living says, I am shocked that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ. And that you are considering and being drawn in to a different gospel, which is really not another gospel. Because, beloved, what the Judaizers were teaching was adding good works to Christ's sacrificial death on the cross. And, beloved, you and I could not in our best moment add to that. And yet, there are many who believe by good works they can gain the favor of God. And beloved, the only way to be reconciled with a holy God is through the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ. So he is grieved. He is so concerned that they are being disturbed and, and, and many are falling away. With pen blazing, Paul offers no word of commendation to the Galatian church, although that is his habit. After a brief salutation, he launches into a litany of doctrinal truth to combat the heresy that was rapidly encroaching upon the church of Jesus Christ. Several years ago, I heard a grandmother say this to another grandmother. They were discussing giving gifts to grandchildren. And they were discussing whether grandchildren said thank you. And did they write thank you notes? Now... I'm so far behind on correspondence right this minute, I, I, I hesitate to even speak on this. But I believe a Christian should have a thankful heart of gratitude that should spill over towards any gift we receive. But what this grandmother said to the other grandmother as they were discussing, no, my grandchildren do not uh, call me. They do not send me thank you notes, and I am annoyed with them about that. And so one of them said to the other, from here on out, I'm not giving any gifts to a child who does not write a thank you note. And I thought to myself, I didn't enter into this conversation. Uh, you know, there are times you need to just back 
yourself out of the conversation. I didn't enter into this one, but I was thinking to myself, a gift with strings attached to it is not really a gift. It's an obligation. It's a trade-off. Gifts are supposed to be given just out of a heart of love, an overflow of love. Now, I taught my children to write thank you notes, and my daughter-in-laws do great jobs. Even before the children could write, we'd get these little scribbled notes, and we would know who it was from. And so, don't hear me say I don't think you ought to write thank you notes and shouldn't teach your children to. I think you should. I think you should. But having said that, a gift that is a true gift is given with no expectation and no obligation. Because it spools, well, it diminishes the whole idea of a gift. Grace with good works is no longer grace. Are you tracking me? You're with me on this? If grace requires our good works of righteousness in order for us to be redeemed, then it is no longer grace. It has to be grace alone through faith alone, in Christ alone, or it's no longer grace. And so you and I have been called to live in grace, to experience the peace of God that passes understanding, and to live in the reality of Jesus Christ. Paul's very, very concerned because these young converts are beginning to struggle with what is the truth. And Paul is saying, I taught you the truth. And if anybody comes with anything different, he is to be a curse. You're not to receive him. You're not to accept that. That's not true. That is a lie. Now, we all know that Satan is subtle enough to mix enough truth in with the lies so that it seems reasonable and plausible. And this was breaking the heart of the apostle. When Craig and I did a uh, mission trip some years back into Nepal, um, uh, we went into Nepal, we were with a missionary family one night after we had been teaching all day, and they were telling us this story about the little girl that was there with her parents uh, in our gathering. And they were telling us that there had been three men who were out fishing in a river there in Nepal. And uh, as they're paddling along, they uh, begin to hear something thrashing in the water. And they paddled over to it, thinking first it was a fish, and when they got up there closer, it was a newborn baby. Someone had birthed this child and tossed her into the river to drown. Now, these three men were so terribly poor that they said they all hesitated a moment, realizing they could not possibly raise another child, add another child to their family. But one of the men was a Christian, and he could not bear to leave that baby. And so he snatched her up out of the river, and he told the two men, there's some people in our church, a childless couple, and I think they will take this baby. 
And so they go back to the church and they get the pastor and some of the leaders of the church and they discuss this situation and uh, pray over it and uh, they're taking care of the little baby and uh, indeed they feel like they can ask this couple, would they possibly adopt this baby? And the couple said, well, absolutely. They would love to have this little baby. Well, she was there that night. She was about six and she was the cutest little thing bright and alert, just adorable. And I couldn't understand the things she said, and she couldn't understand me, but she could tell I like babies. And so she had snuggled up against me, and I had my arm around her, and she was reading her books to me and singing some songs to me and began to dance and show me what was one of her uh, tribe's uh, uh, dances, one of their folk dances, and it was just the cutest thing. So I checked on her the next time I had an opportunity. It was several years later before I was in contact again with the missionary. And I asked about that particular little girl. And they said it is the saddest story that when she turned eight and they were never able to fully legally adopt her because no one came forward as her family to sign off the papers and, and uh, her family, her tribe, her community lived on the riverbank. They did not have houses, barely wore clothes. They lived in the jungle. They survived by eating fish and, and, and berries. They had a very difficult uh, way of living. And that's where that little girl had come from. And so when she turned eight, she wanted to go back and ultimately won the right to return. And I was just thinking to myself, what? What in the world? Why would she go back to that? Harsh life. She had loving parents who were teaching her the things of the Lord. She was living in a lovely home. She was able to go to school. She was getting medical care, dental care. She had such a lovely, lovely life with that adopted family, and yet she rejected that to go back to living on the riverside, fishing and hunting and gathering among people who had tried to drown her in the river. And I couldn't imagine why she would go back. And when I was reading this, uh, as I was preparing, I was thinking that must be what Paul is thinking when he looks at these people who are willing to have been uh, exposed to the gospel of grace, but who have decided they want to go back and live under the law. Why would they do that? Why would they do that when we have been saved and we have been set Free. There was another quote that particularly stuck with me out of the study, and it says this, Paul is not amazed that there were false teachers. He is amazed that the Galatians were being enticed by them. Why would they go back to bondage when they had been set free? Now the question for us is why would we live in bondage? When we have been set free by Jesus Christ to live in a supernatural Holy Spirit lifestyle, living above the downward pull of the world, the flesh, and the devil, why would we do that? And honestly, I can't tell you, but there are times in my own life I fall back into old habits 
patterns. And sometimes I watch myself do it and I'm thinking, what is wrong with you? You have walked with God for so many years. Why would you act that way? Why would you say that? Why would you do that? What is wrong with you? You've learned this lesson better. You know better. You teach better. You're teaching those women. You need to teach yourself. Myself and I have lengthy conversations, as you can tell. To alter the gospel message, even the tiniest bit, is to distort the truth and negate the true meaning of salvation by grace. I was uh, reading one of Dr. Rogers' sermons. It's called The Gospel Truth. And in that message, he said this, the real gospel, the saving gospel, is the gospel that centers in Christ. Not one that mentions him, not one that alludes to him, but it is one that has a vital relationship with Christ Jesus. Being saved is a personal confrontation with Jesus. It is not a creed, not a code, not a cause, not a church, but Christ. Christ has set us free, beloved. Dawson, our younger son, lives here in town. Our older son lives out of town with his family. And Dawson is our son that lives here and has four children. So he and Catherine and the children have gotten a new puppy. It's one of the little doodles. And honestly, that is the cutest thing. And so I just offhandedly said, when they got her name is Juniper. We call her Junie. And so I was just saying, you know, the if you guys ever want to go out of town, Craig and I... We're available to keep her. And Dawson and Catherine both whipped around and said, for real? For real? And I said, yes. Well, it was just a few days later that I got a call and said, we're going to Florida and we can take the dog, but we don't want to. And she's a puppy and uh, needs lots of attention and so forth. And so they said, would you and Papa keep the dog? And without, I didn't even check with Craig. I said, absolutely, absolutely. Well, we decided the best thing to do was for Craig and I to move in from the country into their house and keep her so she could stay in her little routine and kennel and all that kind of stuff. And uh, so we were so excited to get to go in and keep Junie Bug. And so uh, my family gets out the door and Craig and I are there for a week with Junie. Well, just before this happened, Craig had installed ring cameras all around the cottage. And the fun thing was, every morning we look at our ring camera to see what has been on our property the night before. And y'all, we have possums, we have armadillos, we have a kitty cat, we have fox, we have deer. And so every morning what we do over coffee was watch on the ring cameras to see all the animals that had paraded through our yard during the night. Okay, so now we're over at Dawson's house in Arlington, and we're taking care of Junie, having us a big, large time. So we arrive there on Sunday after church, and we are going to stay through Sunday. We'll go to church, then we'll go home, pack up our stuff, and head back to the country. That was the plan. And so on Saturday morning, the day before we leave, Mr. Stockdale realizes we haven't checked the ring camera. And so he pulls up the ring camera. And y'all are not going to believe this. But we had left our front door open. I, I told you you wouldn't believe it. For four days 
and four nights, Craig scrolled back to see when it happened. And y'all, the good news is it was not my fault. I just want to say it so often is. And so there was Mr. Stockdale coming out of the cottage. He had his arms full. He had locked the door. And as he's going out with his arms full, he reaches back and pulls the door. Well, it didn't latch. And in a couple of days, we had strong wind, and it popped that door open. Four days, four nights, our front door had been open. Now, Craig said, I can tell the house hasn't been broken into. We could scroll back on the cameras. But he said, what I can't see is if any critters went in. So we have a friend that lives out there, a neighbor, and he called the neighbor and said, could you just go over there and close the door and lock it for us? We're not coming home until tomorrow, uh, and that will save us a, a long drive back to the country. And so would you mind doing that? And the friend said, not at all. And Craig said, I can promise you it's not been broken into. It's just a matter that the door flew open. And the, the kitchen light was on. So not only was the door open, there was light. So our friend goes over there, he locks up the house, and he calls us back and says, nothing is amiss. And he said, I walked through looking for animals. And he said, my fear was raccoons were in your house. And so he said, I didn't see any, I didn't see any raccoons, but when y'all come in, you need to come in carefully. And so on Sunday, we go to church, and on the way back, uh, we are discussing uh, the funny thing about having our house wide open for four days and four nights. And Craig said, the thing I'm a little concerned about is that we've got critters running through our little cottage. And so when we opened the door, both of us step back just in case some really angry raccoon came out, you know, with a block of cheese or a loaf of bread in his little paws. And so we went all through the house and there was nothing that had come in but a few moss and some random bugs was all that had showed up in those four days. Praise God for that. But here is the point. Theologically, we cannot leave the door open. And do you know what's happening to a lot of people? They are leaving the door open and the enemy is bringing forth what is not true, casting doubt like he did with Eve on God's word and many are being disturbed by it. The scripture is so clear that you and I must hide God's word in our heart that we might not sin against him. We cannot leave the door open to our theology, our beloved. We will get it so messed up. And I want to tell you, that's why I personally, personally am so committed to a church that has a strong pastoral leadership. Bellevue's not the only church, but it is one of them. And Craig and I have been members here since we got saved over 42 years ago. The word of God is preached with power and passion. And so, beloved, we also write this Bible study, teach this Bible study that we might help you, as well as all of us, close the door on the truth. Because, beloved, we are free. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we bless you and we praise you now. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you all.